Letter twenty five of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty five. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Friday, March thirty first. You have very kindly accounted for your silence. People in misfortune are always in doubt. They are too apt to turn even unavoidable accidents into slights and neglects, especially in those whose favourable opinion they wish to preserve. I am sure I ought ever more to exempt my Anna Howe from the supposed possibility of her becoming one of those who bask only in the sunshine of a friend. But nevertheless her friendship is too precious to me not to doubt my own merits on the one hand, and not to be anxious for the preservation of it on the other. You so generously gave me liberty to chide you that I am afraid of taking it, because I could sooner mistrust my own judgment than that of a beloved friend, whose ingenuousness in acknowledging an imputed error seems to set her above the commission of a wilful one. This makes me half afraid to ask you, if you think you are not too cruel, too ungenerous, shall I say, in your behaviour to a man who loves you so dearly, and is so worthy and so sincere a man. Only it is by you, or I should be ashamed to be outdone in that true magnanimity which makes one thankful for the wounds given by a true friend. I believe I was guilty of a petulance, which nothing but my uneasy situation can excuse. If that can, I am but almost afraid to beg of you, and yet I repeatedly do, to give way to that charming spirit, whenever it rises to your pen, which smiles, yet goes to the quick of my fault. What patient shall be afraid of a probe in so delicate a hand? I say, I am almost afraid to pray you to give way to it, for fear you should, for that very reason, restrain it. For the edge may be taken off, if it does not make the subject of its raillery wince a little. Permitted or desired satire may be apt in a generous satirist, mending as it rallies, to turn too soon into panegyric. Yours is intended to instruct, and though it bites, it pleases at the same time. No fear of a wound's rankling or festering by so delicate a point as you carry, not envenomed by personality, not intending to expose or ridicule or exasperate. The most admired of our moderns know nothing of this art. Why? because it must be founded in good nature, and directed by a right heart. The man, not the fault, is generally the subject of their satire, and were it to be just, how should it be useful? How should it answer any good purpose, when every gash, for their weapon is a broadsword, not a lancet, lets in the air of public ridicule, and exasperates where it should heal? Spare me not, therefore, because I am your friend. For that very reason spare me not. I may feel your edge fine as it is. I may be pained, you would lose your end if I were not. But after the first sensibility, as I have said more than once before, I will love you the better, and my amended heart shall be all yours, and it will then be more worthy to be yours. You have taught me what to say to, and what to think of, Mr. Lovelace. You have, by agreeable anticipation, let me know how it is probable he will apply to me to be excused. I will lay everything before you that shall pass on the occasion, if he do apply, that I may take your advice, when it can come in time and when it cannot, that I may receive your correction or approbation, as I may happen to merit either. Only one thing must be allowed for me, that whatever course I shall be permitted or be forced to steer, I must be considered as a person out of her own direction, tossed to and fro by the high winds of passionate control, and, as I think, unseasonable severity. I behold the desired port, the single state, into which I would fain steer, but I am kept off by the foaming billows of a brother's and sister's envy, and by the raging winds of a supposed invaded authority, 
while i see in lovelace the rocks on one hand and in solmes the sands on the other and tremble lest i should split upon the former or strike upon the latter but you my better pilot to what a charming hope do you bid me aspire if things come to extremity i will not as you caution me too much depend upon your success with your mother in my favour for well i know her high notions of implicit duty in a child but yet i will hope too because her seasonable protection may save me perhaps from a greater rashness and in this case she shall direct me in all my ways i will do nothing but by her orders and by her advice and yours not see anybody not write to anybody nor shall any living soul but by her direction and yours know where i am in any cottage place me i will never stir out unless disguised as your servant i am now and then permitted an evening walk with you and this private protection to be granted for no longer time than till my cousin morden comes which as i hope cannot be long i am afraid i must not venture to take the hint you give me to deposit some of my clothes although i will some of my linen as well as papers i will tell you why betty had for some time been very curious about my wardrobe whenever i took out any of my things before her observing this i once on taking one of my garden airings left my keys in the locks and on my return surprised the creature with her hand upon the keys as if shutting the door she was confounded at my sudden coming back i took no notice but on her retiring i found my clothes were not in the usual order i doubted not upon this that her curiosity was owing to the orders she had received and being afraid they would abridge me of my airings if their suspicions were not obviated it has ever since been my custom among other contrivances not only to leave my keys in the locks but to employ the wench now and then in taking out my clothes suit by suit on pretence of preventing their being rumpled or creased and to see that the flowered silver suit did not tarnish sometimes declaredly to give myself employment having little else to do with which employment superadded to the delight taken by the low as well as by the high of our sex in seeing fine clothes she seemed always i thought as well pleased as if it answered one of the officers she had in charge to this and to the confidence they have in a spy so diligent and to their knowing that i have not one confidant in a family in which nevertheless i believe every servant loves me nor have attempted to make one i suppose i owe the freedom i enjoy of my airings and perhaps finding i make no movements towards going away they are the more secure that i shall at last be prevailed upon to comply with their measures since they must think that otherwise they give me provocation enough to take some rash step in order to free myself from a treatment so disgraceful and which god forgive me if i judge amiss i am afraid my brother and sister would not be sorry to drive me to take if therefore such a step should become necessary which i yet hope will not i must be contented to go away with the clothes i shall have on at the time my custom to be dressed for the day as soon as breakfast is over when i have had no household employments to prevent me will make such a step if i am forced to take it less suspected and the linen i shall deposit in pursuance of your kind hint cannot be missed this custom although a prisoner as i may too truly say and neither visited nor visiting i continue we owe to ourselves and to our sex you know to be always neat and never to be surprised in a way we should be pained to be seen in besides people in adversity which is the state of trial of every good quality should endeavour to preserve laudable customs that if sunshine return they may not be losers by their trial does it not moreover manifest a firmness of mind in an unhappy person to keep hope alive to hope for better days is half to deserve them for could we have just ground for such a hope if we did not resolve to deserve what that hope bids us aspire to then who shall befriend a person who forsakes herself these are reflections by which i sometimes endeavour to support myself i know you don't despise my grave airs 
although, with a view no doubt to irradiate my mind in my misfortunes, you rally me upon them. Everybody has not your talent of introducing serious and important lessons in such a happy manner as at once to delight and instruct. What a multitude of contrivances may not young people fall upon, if the mind be not engaged by acts of kindness and condescension. I am not used by my friends of late, as I always used their servants. When I was entrusted with the family management, I always found it right, as well in policy as generosity, to repose a trust in them. Not to seem to expect or depend upon justice from them, is in a manner to bid them to take opportunities, whenever they offer, to be unjust. Mr. Solmes, to expatiate on this low but not unuseful subject, in his more trifling solicitudes, would have had a sorry key-keeper in me. Were I mistress of a family, I would not either take to myself or give to servants the pain of keeping those I had reason to suspect. People low in station have often minds not sordid. Nay, I have sometimes thought, that, even take number for number, there are more honest low people than honest high. In the one, honest is their chief pride. In the other, the love of power, of grandeur, of pleasure, mislead, and that and their ambition induce a paramount pride, which too often swallows up the more laudable one. Many of the former would scorn to deceive a confidence, but I have seen among the most ignorant of their class a susceptibility of resentment if their honesty has been suspected, and have more than once been forced to put a servant right, whom I have heard say that, although she valued herself upon her honesty, no master or mistress should suspect her for nothing. How far has the comparison I had in my head between my friend's treatment of me and my treatment of the servants carried me? But we always allowed ourselves to expatiate on such subjects, whether low or high, as might tend to enlarge our minds, or mend our management, whether notional or practical, and whether such expatiating respected our present, or might respect our probable future situations. What I was principally leading to, was to tell you how ingenious I am in my contrivances and pretences to blind my jailoress, and to take off the jealousy of her principles on my going down so often into the garden and poultry-yard. People suspiciously treated are never, I believe, at a loss for invention. Sometimes I want air, and am better the moment I am out of my chamber. Sometimes spirits, and then my bantams and pheasants, or the cascade, divert me. The former by their inspiring liveliness, the latter by its echoing dashes and hollow murmurs. Sometimes solitude is of all things my wish, and the awful silence of the night, the spangled element, and the rising and setting sun, how promotive of contemplation! Sometimes, when I intend nothing and expect no letters, I am officious to take Betty with me, and at others bespeak her attendance, when I know she is otherwise employed, and cannot give it me. These more capital artifices I branch out into lesser ones without number. Yet all have not only the face of truth, but are real truths, although not my principal motive. How prompt a thing is will! What impediments does dislike furnish! How swiftly through every difficulty do we move with the one, how tardily with the other! every trifling obstruction weighing us down, as if lead were fastened to our feet. Friday morning, eleven o'clock. I have already made up my parcel of linen. My heart ached all the time I was employed about it, and still aches, at the thoughts of its being a necessary precaution. When the parcel comes to your hands, as I hope it safely will, you will be pleased to open it. You will find in it two parcels sealed up, one of which contains the letters you have not yet seen, being those written since I left you. In the other are all the letters and copies of letters that have passed between you and me, since I was last with you, with some other papers on subjects so much above me, that I cannot wish them to be seen by anybody whose indulgence I am not so sure of as I am of yours. If my judgment ripen with my years, perhaps I may review them. Mrs. Norton used to say, from her reverend father, 
that youth was the time of life for imagination and fancy to work in then were a writer to lay by his works till riper years and experience should direct the fire rather to glow than to flame out something between both might perhaps be produced that would not displease a judicious eye in a third division folded up separately are all mr lovelace's letters written to me since he was forbidden this house and copies of my answers to them i expect that you will break the seals of this parcel and when you have perused them all give me your free opinion of my conduct by the way not a line from that man not one line wednesday i deposited mine it remained there on wednesday night what time it was taken away yesterday i cannot tell for i did not concern myself about it till towards night and then it was not there no return at ten this day i suppose he is as much out of humour as i with all my heart he may be mean enough perhaps if ever i should put it into his power to avenge himself for the trouble he has had with me but that now i dare say i never shall i see what sort of a man the encroacher is and i hope we are equally sick of one another my heart is vexedly easy if i may so describe it vexedly because of the apprehended interview with solmes and the consequences it may be attended with or else i should be quite easy for why i have not deserved the usage i receive and could i be rid of solmes as i presume i am of lovelace their influence over my father mother and uncles against me could not hold the five guineas tied up in one corner of a handkerchief under the linen i beg you will let pass as an acknowledgment for the trouble i give your trusty servant you must not chide me for this you know i cannot be easy unless i have my way in these little matters i was going to put up what little money i have and some of my ornaments but they are portable and i cannot forget them besides should they suspecting me desire to see any of the jewels and were i not able to produce them it would amount to a demonstration of an intention which would have a guilty appearance to them friday one o'clock in the wood-house no letter yet from this man i have luckily deposited my parcel and have your letter of last night if robert take this without the parcel pray let him return immediately for it but he cannot miss it i think i must conclude that it is put there for him to take away you may believe from the contents of yours that i shall immediately write again clarissa harlowe end of letter twenty five